Well, it's time. It's time to get the snowblower going. We get to wear sweaters. It's not all bad, is it? What a beautiful morning. And welcome. We're glad that you are here today. Um, it's good to see family members that are here, some visiting because of the holidays. We've got some friends from school uh, visiting with people, and that's great. I'm glad to get to be here, and I'm glad this morning to get to introduce a new series that we are going to follow right on into Christmas, and that is called Here Comes Jesus. Here Comes Jesus is the theme that we're going to be following. And I want to offer up three cheers this morning, too, for the inventive minds among us over the years who have come up with better ways to do things. I am thankful. Build a better mousetrap and the world will... Have fewer mice, okay. Build a better mousetrap, the world will beat a path to your door. It's a way of saying if people come up with good ways to do things, we like that. We appreciate that. And I want to acknowledge that this morning. I know some change can be bad, but I also know this, that there are some things we're really glad have changed. For instance, anesthesia. Microwave ovens, indoor plumbing, digital cameras, telephones, refrigerators, washing machines, calculators, computers. What did life look like before those things? Well, it was a lot more painful. It took longer to cook things. Waking up in the morning meant you had to take a walk in the snow first. It took two weeks to see how your snapshot turned out. You couldn't call someone unless you were at home or had a dime. Food spoiled faster. Clothes had to be taken down to the creek and beaten out with a stick. Adding and multiplying took a lot longer. Shopping had to be done for bid. In person. There are a lot of things that have changed and we're glad about it. Somewhere over the years, people realized that the way something was being done could be made better. Much better. And so they found another way. And this morning, I want us to see that in the story of Christmas. Every year at our house, when we dig out the Christmas decorations, which we're getting ready to do, not very many hands went up when Jim asked, how many of you have got that done? Well, we're getting ready to do that today. And I know when we pull the bins and the boxes out, there are going to be those things. Sure, we know we've had them for years, and oh, there it is. We're getting it out again. We're going to put it in the same spot. And then there's those things that you pull out and go, hmm, forgot we had that. Well, there, look at that. It's a snowman soap dispenser. How about that? And it's like Christmas all over again. You just get to open it up and there it is. How many of you have got that, those kinds of things where you pull them out, you didn't realize it was there, or is that just our house? Okay, good. And it's, a, it's like a gift because here it is. That is the way that John, I believe, tells the Christmas story. I want to use the Gospel of John this morning. So open up your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1. 
the fourth gospel, the story of Jesus told by the apostle John. He is writing this story decades after Jesus has died and risen and gone back to heaven. He's telling this story, but he is telling it in a way that helps us remember that Jesus' birth is a relatively small event in the big picture. In fact, if you were looking to write some new Christmas carols, you would not probably turn to the Gospel of John. No angels, no shepherds, no wise men. Here's where John goes. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word, the Word, he says, was God. John doesn't offer any explanation why he calls Jesus the word here and nowhere else. What he does explain, though, with certainty, is that Jesus, the word, is also whom? He is God. He is with God and he is God. So Jesus has been there, like it says in the first three words, in the beginning. He's been there from the start. All things were made through him. That means when you flip back to Genesis 1-1, the very beginning, the account of creation, and start to read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. When it says there, in the beginning, God, it's a plural word in the original. It's plural. God is one, but even here in Genesis 1-1, God is spirit hovering over the face of the waters, and God is Jesus there too. All things were made through him, says John. Amen? All things were made through him. He's with God in the beginning. All things are made through him. Eternal God, with God in the beginning, creator God, through whom all things are made. He is with God. He is God. He is not just a God, but one whose essence is God. He is, here's a big word, ontologically one with the Father. He's God who is the author of life. He is God who shines in the darkness. Lose this fact and we are lost. That's why John starts out his story of Christ with those words. Jesus was with God and was God. You must decide if you accept that fact about Jesus Christ or not today. And in a short time, we're going to ask you to face up to what you believe about Jesus. John, in his whole gospel, says, I'm telling you this story because I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. There is another person mentioned here now. If you go back to John chapter 1 and look down and read ahead a little bit, verse 6, it says there was this man sent from God. Verse 15 talks about him too. It is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, according to Jesus, was a great man. But it's like John the Baptist is just kind of tossed in here 
for comparison's sake. Here's Jesus, here's John. Jesus is God. John is not. Jesus is the light of men. John is just here to tell you about it. Jesus is only, uh, or Jesus is the greatest of greats. John is lesser and says about himself, I must decrease. John the Baptist is not God, Jesus is. Look at verse 8. He was not the light, but came near to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Why is it such a big deal that Jesus is God? Here's the reason. I'm glad you asked that. Because in our state, we need more than human help. Every human convinces us in life we need something different, don't we? We need something more. You ever been let down by a human being? I don't need to ask you to raise your hand on that. If you haven't been let down by a human being, you're either a liar or a hermit. And you just haven't figured it out yet. Eventually, you'll be let down by yourself. Let's say you're in a store. People do go to stores still, right? Let's say you're in a store and you need something done, but the salesperson who's there at the store can't seem to help you. They don't seem to know what they need to know or don't have the authority to do what needs to be done. They won't give you the sale price. So you say to the salesperson, can I talk to your manager? I need someone who's higher up on the food chain who can meet the need. I need that person to get the action that I need taken, right? That's what we do. People have always rallied behind great human leaders. The strange thing is that when we go back and study those leaders, every one of them has flaws. You put all your hope in any human, any human at all, you will be let down, especially if you are looking for that human to fix what's wrong about you. Your spouse hasn't been able to do it yet. Your counselor really hasn't accomplished that yet. Look what John says in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here is why you and I need God, not just a man, to step in. We need a new plan to fix us. We can try all kinds of human ways to be good enough. We can try to count on all kinds of people, but at some point, every one of them is going to let us down, and the thing that we need done for us is more than just a human being can do. We need somebody who can fix us on a spiritual level. I need somebody who can fix me on an eternal level. We need a spiritual being. We need an eternal being. Guess who we need? We need God, not just a man. So John starts out this good news that Jesus is God. Listen to John telling the Christmas story in a way that ought to encourage us even more than the news that there was a baby born in Bethlehem. That baby didn't just come into existence then. It's not like you just found him in the bin of Christmas stuff. Oh, didn't know that was there. 
The Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word is God. Jesus doesn't begin to exist just because we dig him out from the bubble wrap inside of a Christmas bin on Friday. Nor does Jesus, get this, cease to exist because on January the 2nd, we pack it all away and put it in the attic or the basement again. Jesus is already here. Hope that doesn't ruin your Christmas. Then I want you to celebrate this, that Jesus is God with us in flesh. Look at verse 14, where John says that word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is the part where God's new and better way for us becomes clearer. In the Old Testament, there were moments when God would come and show himself to people. He would show that he existed. It was rare, and usually it was terrifying. It was also for the purpose of delivering a message and engaging people in thought. It was especially that way when God came down on Mount Sinai and he gave his law through Moses. Remember the story of the Ten Commandments? That was God coming down and showing himself. God even let his presence be made known among the Jews. He, he, he made it show up in the tabernacle. So in the middle of their camp, if you were to ask a Jew at that time, hey, is God in your presence? They would say, yeah, he's in our presence. Well, where is he? Pretty much where the big, giant, glowy thing is, right over there. Because God was making his presence known in the tabernacle. Every year the people would celebrate the Day of Atonement. Sacrifices were made for their sins. But those annual sacrifices were just a reminder that they had sins. They didn't cure them. In fact, Israel kept sinning and they rejected God till he gave them over to their enemies. He let them have what they wanted and he was no longer among his people in the same way. So it was a big deal when God announced a new way through the prophet Isaiah. We heard that read this morning. This new way would involve God being with us. In fact, not just God being among us, but, but God being one of us. Emmanuel is God with us. So here's what John says about the word, start reading in verse 9, about Jesus who is God as he came to live among us. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Those words ought to send a shudder up our backs. The word who is God, the one who created all things, who came to be among his creation, wasn't received by them. And then look at verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It literally says there that Jesus came and tented among us. Jesus came and he pitched his tent here among us. 
He was among humanity where he could be seen and heard and touched. He didn't just help from some remote location like customer service in some country where you can't understand real well. Some of you will remember a few years back our son Andy uh, got to have a teaching internship at Windward, School of Evangel- Windward Island School of Evangelism. Why is it's called? It's on Barbados. <laughs> wow, Barbados. So Andy goes to Barbados. He's there to teach for five months. Remember, he was there for a few months and decided to have a kidney stone. So we start getting these phone calls and things from his girlfriend here in the States, and and we get a phone call from Andy, and it's Andy in Barbados in a hospital on a phone with a bad connection, and Andy on morphine. (laughs) So I'm listening to all the mumbling as he kind of explains to us that he's in a hospital, but they didn't really check him in. He's on a bed in the hallway. He's been there for eight hours or something. He's not getting great medical care. He's not sure what to do. See ya. And then a friend of his from Wise called us, and the connection was still bad. He's a great guy who called, but his accent was so heavy, and the connection was so bad, and here I was trying to figure out what's going on. After a while, Carrie and I decided, you know what, this isn't working. I need to get down there to help him and make sure he's cared for. So I got to go to Barbados. I went to Barbados. I think I was there 12 hours. And I stayed in a 300-year-old building that was Andy's staying quarters, which originally had been built for slaves of a sugar farm. That's what I saw of Barbados. Not exactly a vacation, but you know what? It was a good thing I went because I was able to go down there in person, see what was going on, get Andy back, and get him the help that he needed. Once in a while, as life happens, it points out to us that we need something more than what we have on our own. And we become aware that we need God. And we need God, not just on paper, not just in theory, but we need God being close to us to help us. There are a lot of people who are wandering through life without much sense of direction today. In fact, I think no one has really ever made sure they know how to navigate some new tragedy or to rightly approach a relationship or even how to handle prosperity. And then there's this eerie sense, have you got it, that there's something wrong in the world we live in, something terribly wrong. The idea that there is a God out there who cares about us, that's great. But if he is somewhere so far out of our reach, there's not much help in knowing about him and knowing that he is there. We need God to be close, don't we? Of course, the story of Christmas is a help to us. God didn't just stay in heaven. Heaven came to earth. Later on, closer to Christmas time, we're going to remember the fact that Jesus didn't just show up from nowhere. But let me tell you something. He also didn't just disappear to nowhere. Emmanuel is God with us. Not God was with us, but God is with us. Isn't that good news?
Look at verse 18 then. No one has ever seen God. I want you to understand that Jesus explains the eternal God in a way that we need. He explains him. You ever go to sign or read a legal document about three sentences into it, you realize, no, 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 I need someone to interpret this. Like this. Upon the termination of the aforementioned contractual arrangement, the party of the first part shall, in a good faith manner, effectuate the return of all tangible and intangible assets, including but not limited to chattels, choses in action, and proprietary information to the party of the second part in accordance with the terms and conditions stipulated herein. You know, in simpler terms, it could have said, when this agreement ends, the first guy has to return all the stuff to the second guy. Why can't they just write it that way? Well, we've got to keep the legal people in business. I need someone to explain legalese to me. And that is the word that John uses here to describe what Jesus does about God. A lot of people feel that way. God is the never been seen, way too far out of my reach God. But read the rest of verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So here is a great reason to learn about and to know Jesus as thoroughly as you can. Because Jesus explains God. We can look at the life of Jesus. We can listen to what Jesus said. We can say, wow, I am glad that God came and lived among us because Jesus isn't just a word from God. Jesus is the word from God. And I can understand God better because Jesus came among us. I'm really glad Jesus is God with us. I am really glad that he explains the eternal God in a way that I can understand. Have you noticed that, how children, when they become acquainted with the person of Jesus, can relate to him? God said, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's from Isaiah 55. He's too high for us to understand. No man has ever seen God because no one can even look at him and live. Moses asked to see him, remember, but was only allowed to see his backside as God passed by. The Old Testament law couldn't explain God. The stodgy rabbis of the first century couldn't explain God. John the Baptist couldn't explain God, but God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has explained him. The word John uses there in verse 18 is a word that means to interpret. John says Jesus has interpreted God to us. S.D. Gordon put it this way, Jesus is God spelling himself out in language that men can understand. One of the things that teaches us about God is called general revelation. It's what we can see around us that tells us something about God. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the, the sky above shows his handiwork. That's general revelation. It tells me things about God. 
It teaches me to revere and to respect him. It teaches me to seek for him and to long for him. Don't you want to know what's behind those things? But when there's a powerful thunderstorm, what does it tell me? Well, it, it tells me there is a powerful creator, but what does it tell me about him? Is he loud and angry? Is he brilliant and fast? Is he distant or close? Is he eternal? Is he short-lived? Is he personal or just some force? How does he want me to relate to him? See, general revelation in creation doesn't teach me that. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He needed someone to interpret it for him. Without that, it meant nothing. The Ethiopian eunuch who was reading from the book of Isaiah, when he was asked, do you understand what you're reading, said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And that's where mankind is when it comes to how we relate to this unreachable God, separated from God by sin. It made God and his nature like a note that we've got, but we can't really understand it until someone comes alongside and interprets it for us. We can never understand God or know what he wants from us until we look at him in the person of Jesus Christ. We can never fully appreciate just how much he loves us, just how much we mean to him, nor can we appreciate how much other people mean to him until we see him through the Son. The writer of Hebrews starts that letter long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God became flesh. One effect of God becoming man is God showed us what he is like by coming and living among us at just the right time in history, when man needed something, something to see, Jesus came and he pitched his tent among us. That's in John 1.14. He secularized the sacred. He made something that was too high, something that was within our grasp that we could begin to understand. Stephen Brow said this, he didn't come to keep us from suffering, he came to suffer as we must suffer. He didn't come just to keep us from being afraid. He came to be afraid as we are afraid. He didn't come just to keep us from dying. He came to die as we must die. He didn't come to keep us from being tempted. He came to be tempted as we are tempted. It seems to me that many of the most important decisions that we make in life come at what are called aha moments, right? Those times of aha, when the light suddenly flickers on and for the first time, something that I have seen or heard maybe for a long time, but it finally makes sense. Aha. Helen Keller, deaf and blind, in her book, the story of my life tells of that breakthrough moment when her tutor, Annie Sullivan, first made it into her dark, silent world, and for the very first time, Helen Keller began to understand about language. Remember, this is a person who is deaf and blind. Listen to what she wrote. We walked down the path to the well house 
attracted by the fragrance of the honeysuckle with which it was covered. Someone was drawing water, and my teacher placed my hand under the spout. As the cool stream gushed over one hand, she spelled into the other hand the word water, first slowly, then rapidly. I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. That living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. There were barriers still, it is true, but barriers that could in time be swept away. Well, from that day on, Helen Keller had a, a deeper appreciation for language and communication and for water. Her understanding of it was opened up in a way it hadn't ever been before. Now think about it. Water didn't just suddenly come into existence that day. Communication didn't suddenly come into existence that day, and it didn't go away after that day. It was there all along, and from that day forward, she'd have a deeper and better relationship with water. It didn't change. She did. Jesus has been here all along. And even though he was here all along, he came closer. He came to us in a way that we needed so that we could be changed. God became like us so that we could become like him. He came to let us become his children, to bring us grace and truth so that that could be applied to us because we needed it. And Jesus came as the one who is closest to the Father, who knows him like no one else to explain him to us, to remove the barriers that we have worked so hard to put between God and ourselves. Jesus came to remove those. Not to change him, but to change us. Friend, we would love for you today to come to that aha moment, to come to the realization that Jesus has been there all along. That what he came to accomplish, no human being could accomplish. He didn't just pop into existence. He's been there all along. And he's still there today. And he's inviting you. Central Christian Church is not inviting you. Jesus Christ is inviting you. We're just here on his behalf. If you're ready to begin a relationship with him, he wants that. I know it's Christmas season, right? This is a time of the year that lots of people are using the name of Jesus, thinking about Jesus in ways that normally they would not be doing. Well, today I hope that your Christmas starts with those words of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He's here among us today. And he wants to be your Savior. If you're ready to accept him and become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ today, you can do that right now. If you are here and that's something you want to learn about, it doesn't take all Christmas season to learn it. 
we could get together with you and just look at God's word together. And in a short time, that light could come on and you could go, I get it. We'd love to do that if that's where you're at today. Let's stand up together. If this morning you're a person who's got special needs, like I need someone to pray for me, I'm struggling with some things, I've got questions, or um, I could just use a good friend. Well, I can tell you about my church family, there's a lot of good people here who would love to be that person in your life. And if you're needing encouragement, prayer, something like that this morning, that's what these front pews are for. These are not here just to repel people who sit in the back. These are here uh, because right about now, we're inviting you to come forward, physically come forward, and to accept Jesus, to be prayed for, to have someone encourage you, things like that. And uh, that's gonna be during a song that we're gonna sing here at the end. I'm gonna pray. Uh, let's make good choices for the Lord today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news that began before time. You knew what we needed. Your son, Jesus Christ, the word, who was with you in the beginning and who in his very being is God, the one who came and tented among us. Father, thank you. What a wonderful story. Uh, the way that your plan unfolds throughout history and to this very day is unfolding in the lives of your people. We thank you for it. Thank you that the gospel is good news. That, uh, Lord, when we look at the mess around us, we've got a message of good news and of hope. And, uh, Father, thank you that we could see that today in your word. Help us, please, to respond in a way that's appropriate. Help us to respond as people who believe that these things are true and that you are seeking lordship in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.